You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. Well, you know, we're obviously disappointed. Uh, we wanted to see our team have an opportunity to play and get in the playoffs. But, you know, we're going to get an opportunity to play someone somewhere in a good game, and uh, that's going to be an opportunity for our players to create value for themselves and uh, show what kind of team we really have. When you build a national championship. Welcome in to Big Noon Sports. Matt Coulter along with Lars Christian. The gang is all here, and you just heard from Nick Saban talking about not making the college football playoff. We've got that on the line. Uh, who's going to play in the bowl games? Bryce and uh, Will, are they done? Uh, you got Dion going to Colorado. Uh, there's actually some news I'm going to bring up personally because of baseball. Wow, this is this some really crazy stuff going on as far as you see what Verlander got? $84, $86 million for two years. But anyway... Our topic at hand is what happened yesterday. Lars, Christian, Matt. Lars, I'm going to go to you first since you're sitting in the studio right across from me. First of all, did you have a good weekend? I had a great weekend. Uh, A lot of fun yesterday seeing my Cincinnati Bengals beat the Kansas City Chiefs for the third Third time in the calendar year. What a game. I think Joe Burrow needs to be in the conversation for uh, MVP. Jalen Hurts. Huge game. I think Jalen Hurts is right there as well with, with Mahomes. And uh, in in seeing Jalen throwing all those touchdowns, throwing the ball all over the field, uh, especially to uh, Devontae, uh, just, it's just Alabama magic is everywhere in the NFL. Unfortunately, there was not Alabama magic on Sunday morning. Did not make it into the college football playoffs. We can argue this so many different ways, Matt. Uh, I know it's the number one story in this state. My personal belief is that Alabama did not deserve to get in. Uh, however, I don't. There, there's no way in the world that uh, that TCU is a better team than Ohio State. And I think that the committee did not want Ohio State and Michigan playing in the first round of the finals and that they really are hoping that it will be a Michigan-Ohio State game for the national championship. And I, I understand that, look, Alabama would be favored over TCU. Alabama would probably be favored over Ohio State. They'd probably be favored over Michigan. But the thing is, you know what? Alabama also was favored over Tennessee, and they were favored over LSU. Didn't win those games. So, you know, that argument doesn't hold water with me. Uh, The fact that if just because Alabama would be favored, they should be in, well, then, heck, let's not play the games. Look, Alabama had their chances, and I know you lose two games by a total of four points and the last play of the game on the road, hostile environment and all that, but if they make a couple plays, they're in. Lars, um, I, I think, and you used a good word a minute ago, so you didn't think Alabama deserved, okay? I, I need to know what the language is in deciding who these four teams are. Are you trying to get the best four teams, 
or the four teams that deserve? I think, I think what deserved. they ended up with the four teams that deserved it. I don't think there's any question. Alabama would be an eight-point favorite over TCU. So did they get the best four teams? No. Did they get the teams that earned the right to be there by virtue of their record and their conferences? Yes, they did. It pains a lot of people to hear that. It pains a lot of people to say that. And I, I think there is just argument. And Reese Davis gave it yesterday, and he's an Alabama graduate. I don't. He's not a homer. No, he's he not. He's saying uh, Ohio State, they get the nod. Uh, he said four times out of five, when it's come down to situations like this, Ohio State's gotten the nod. Well, you know what? Alabama's gotten some favor, you know, in the past years too. So it does muddle our holidays because I would really rather see Alabama preparing to uh, to play. Uh, with, if they got into the four, they'd be playing Georgia. Um, and I don't know. Did they want that matchup again? I think Alabama would love that. Oh, I mean, did oh. the committee not oh, want that did, matchup? Oh, uh, the best game may yeah. be the opener. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a, that, that is a really good question. Um, you know, I, I think when you look back at um, the Big 12 championship game, right, and this is really the game, this was the key game for Alabama if they were going to make it in. Yep. And uh, K-State was in the process of pulling away they had all the momentum, and in my mind, the magic number was going to be 14 points. If K-State beats TCU by 14 points, I think Alabama's in. And uh, K-State's rolling. I think they were up 10 at the time. I'm not exactly sure. I don't have the play-by-play uh, in front of me. And TCU punts. K-State returner muffs the punt. TCU recovers the ball. They go down, score a touchdown, completely change the dynamic of the game. If that, if he just catches the punt or just lets it drop, the thing's gonna, the punt's gonna go out of bounds most likely because uh, it was right on that left sideline. Uh, Alabama could have really had a chance. And do, do do you think if K State wins that game, or are you with me on this? If K State wins that game by two touchdowns, yep. Alabama's in. I think so. I, I'm, everything you just said, I can just go ditto Lars, ditto Lars, ditto Lars, because I believe that. I also do, on kind of a side note, even though he lost, I think Max Duggan may have won the Heisman I think in he, a loss. Yeah, he he played his heart out. He played with guts. He showed grit. Uh, and you, you just you love everything about this kid. You know, he may not have the most uh, uh, talented skill set in the world, but he is a competitor, man, and and he just uh, willed his team to come back, and and in a lot of ways he willed his team into the college football playoffs with that performance. And he was just—I don't know—it was it was he exhausted? I mean, he just after he scored that final touchdown, right uh, on, pushing, on the run, pushing people away. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, just think, I think he, he had was no gas. I think he was just utterly—he just left it all out on the field and. And if I had a Heisman vote, he, he would get mine. Well, and I want to bring Christian in here because one of the questions I kept asking my television set, as if it were going to answer, is why why don't you spy this guy? He's going to carry the football. I mean, where was K-State defensively? Uh, Christian, welcome into the show. I hope you had a great weekend. But where was K-State's defensive lineup uh, or, or alignment when Duggan just kept running – and I'm not talking about he'd get four or five. He'd get nine. He'd get 18. He'd get 12. And then he had the one that was 30-plus. So 
first of all, hello, Christian. I hope things are well with you. But uh, how come K-State couldn't figure out how to defense that? Well, I'll or, tell, you, yeah, I'll exactly. tell you what they were doing, man. And this is my issue. It is They kept dropping eight, trying to be conservative. And they're only rushing three. And that's why I hate this whole new style of just rushing three because you're not you're not getting enough pressure on the quarterback. And there's too many rushing lanes for him to just step up and run. And so you're right. They should have put a spy on him. But uh, honestly, I don't know why they were they should have brought more pressure is what they should have done. Is it, is, it, is it the thing that we used to do in the backyard where you just send everybody deep and then the quarterback keeps it? Because that, that looked to me like what they were doing. Yeah, they could have been. Um, I mean, that's a smart you know game plan to do when that, you know, if a defense is dropping that many guys, yeah, if, you, if you're a quarterback, if you see a lane, you should take it. I mean, the yards are going to be there every single time, as you saw this past weekend. Christian, as a uh, former player and, and one who is not that far removed from being on the squad at Alabama, how do you think uh, the Alabama players are feeling this morning and this afternoon? I mean, without a question, they're disappointed. I mean, they're hurt. You know, they they put in all that work to – they have a goal in mind at the beginning of the season is to win championships. And when you don't have that opportunity to compete uh, for a championship at the end of the season, it's, it's tough and it hurts. So – um, I'm sure they're going through a lot of emotions. You know, it almost feels like you put in so much time and effort, and then when you come up short, I wouldn't say it feels like it's wasted, but it's just it's 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 devastating. You know, it's it's a very deflating feeling. Um, so I, I know those guys are feeling it. I know a lot of fans are feeling it. But you have to think about the guys in that locker room that um, just I mean, again, they're living it every single day, day in and day out. Um, but you know, it's 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 a tough feeling to to. To deal with, but um, I think there's a lot of learning lessons from it, and uh, that's the best thing you can do from it is learn. You know, you can sit there and sulk about it, or you can look forward and, uh, well, first look back and reflect on what went wrong, what you could have done better, and then after you, you know, take time to, to reflect, you got to, you know, look forward and, and do everything you can to make sure you succeed uh, next time this opportunity comes around because, you know, I, I think everybody can look in the mirror and say, you know, there are some things we could have done better. I don't think it all goes on to one. You can't point the finger at one person or group. You know, I can't. you can't just say, oh, it was the coaches, oh, it was the players. I think it was a collective effort that um, resulted in this outcome. And I think it's important that everybody learns from it. Yeah, uh, and, and examining, uh, doing the autopsy here on the Big 12 championship game, and this was the key game for Alabama after USC went down in the Pac-12 championship game. K-State is up 21-10 to early in the third quarter, and they sack Dugan, right, uh, and, and it, to force a punt. And uh, the, the punt goes 46 yards, and uh, um, uh, Philip Brooks, he is the punt returner. All you got to do is catch that ball, dude. 21-10, you're up. You got all the momentum in the world. Your quarterback's got the hot hand. You're slicing and dicing through that uh, defense. Got the opportunity to perhaps go up 28-10. to and I'm thinking at this point, man, Alabama's got to be feeling really, really good. And then he muffs the punt. He muffs the punt. And three plays later, TCU scores a touchdown, 21-17, ball game on, Alabama out. 
in my mind at that point. I, I, was, I, I, I thought, Christian, that the magic number was about 14 points that K-State needed to win by, and I thought it was going to happen the way that game was going. TCU started hot, then K-State really took control of that game until that muffed punt, Christian. Lars, you're right, but at the same time, and I think you're right, the, the, the point difference, you know, if it was 14 or more points, I think that would have gave Alabama the best chance to, to get in that fourth spot. However, I think the committee was just having a tough time uh, justifying, penalizing TCU for them suffering their first loss in a championship game, and I, I, I get it. I, trust me, Alabama is a much better football team. If you watch TCU and you know football, you know that Alabama is a, is a much better football team, without a doubt, without a question. However, the committee has a job and, you know, they go off their little metric system. They're going to look at wins, losses, records, all that good stuff. Right. And if you look at it, technically, now I probably need to pull this up. I'll probably look at look at it over our break and I can start talking about it again. But I mean, pound for pound, I mean, if you look at their schedule, I mean, they had about the same amount of, you know, I think they had maybe what, two wins over top opponents. I mean, Alabama, what was Alabama's best win? I would say what? Ole Miss on the road, and uh, we had Arkansas, Texas. Texas. Yeah, then we had Arkansas on the road. So, again, and I'm not taking any credit from Alabama. I know they're the, the better football team here. But if you look at it, I mean, TCU also beat Texas. They beat Kansas State in the regular season, who was also a top-ranked team. I think they had more wins over opponents, over 500, than Alabama. So, unfortunately, there's just too many self-inflicted uh, wounds for Alabama earlier on in the season that they just couldn't really recover from at the end. And it's unfortunate because we finally started playing our best football at the end of the season. It was just too little too late. And uh, we can we can dive more into it on, on the other side of the break. Yeah, absolutely. And and Matt just asked uh, the, the most pertinent question. Is it most deserving teams to get in or the best four teams to get in? Great question. I think it was answered with deserving. Uh, but we'll, we'll kick that to Christian. Also, Alabama's going to be playing K-State in the Sugar Bowl. Mm. <laughs> You're listening to Big News Sports. Also, on the show today, we got, thank you, we got Mike Rodak from, uh, Mike Rodak from AL.com, Cole Thompson from SI Nation, and then OSU's Matt Finkus is going to join us. Really, really interested to get Finkus's opinion. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi. Looking for ways to give this holiday season? Be sure to support the wonderful children of the Benjamin. Rising through the 60s. Tomorrow, the weather turning warm for December. We'll have a chance of rain mainly during the morning hours. The high at 75. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 62 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. You know, we have a five o'clock sort of little awards, you know, ceremony. I haven't had the opportunity to talk to either one of those guys yet. They participated in the workouts that we had last week, and, you know, we'll get an opportunity to talk to them at some point in time. Um, you know, this week. 
final. There you go. You have Nick Saban quote yesterday afternoon on whether or not he thought Bryce or Will Anderson Sr. Jr. would be playing in the Sugar Bowl against K-State. Christian, let's just lob that one right onto your side of the court. What do you think? And I'll just I'll I'll put your feet to the fire here. What would you do? Well, uh, I'll be honest. I don't, I have a feeling that they're probably not going to play in the Sugar Bowl. Um, if it was me personally, I probably would play just because. Again, I, I'm very I'm very sentimental with stuff. I, I realize you know the opportunity I have you know putting on that crimson helmet and that jersey. And uh, I would I would want to do it one last time with my teammates, but I also understand there is an injury risk when you go out there, and there's a lot of money on the line. However, I do know, I mean, as you saw last year, you know, Jameson Williams tore his ACL at the end of the year, still was a first-round draft pick. You know, he might have fell a couple spots, but still was a first-round pick. Mechie also, you know, suffered a knee injury at the end of the season, and it still went in the second round, but then – not to mention there's also injury policies that, you know, Coach Saban and the program, they always, you know, offer to, to players. And uh, those will cover your loss of value if you are injured. So me personally, I would play, but I understand, you know, they, they do have a decision to make. And I'm not going to fault anybody for, for their decision. And, uh, you know, I'm just thankful for, you know, they, you know they, look, they put their time in. If they choose not to play, you know, fair enough. But uh, I, I'd, I'd hope guys would want to play one last time with their teammates. Yeah, I mean, the number one cautionary tale, and it's a sad story, is uh, Michigan tight end Jake Butt, uh, who uh, looked like he was going to be a first-round draft pick. Uh, in his four years at Ann Arbor, he was one of the best tight ends in uh, Michigan football history. He finished his career as uh, Michigan's all-time receiver in yards by a tight end, record holder for career receptions by a tight end. And then he went and played in the Orange Bowl uh, in 2016 against Florida State and suffered a, a devastating ACL tear. And uh, he ended up going from what we thought he was going to be a, a surefire first-round pick, probably mid to late first round. He got went in the fifth round, 145th overall to Denver, even though he was still um, recovering from that injury. Uh, and then, you know, he had a, a, a really short-lived NFL career because he, he would suffer another ACL injury. Uh, just uh, it, by in, in 2018, so it, his career was really shortened, and it all went back to his decision to play in the bowl game. And so I, I think that's why you see guys, and and I believe Christian. This all started with uh, another Christian, Christian McCaffrey. Mm -hmm. He decided to sit out the bowl game when he was a the, the stud running back for Stanford, and he got a lot of grief for it at the time. But hey, it's it's a it's. I mean, Christian, isn't it just a business decision? I mean, the, the, both Bryce and Will are about to, you know, uh, make generational money. If they're smart with their money, their kids' kids will be set. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Uh, but again, that's that's where I go to mention. You know, there's, you know, loss of uh, value policies with insurance. Again, you're right. It's a business decision, and uh, um, I'm I'm more than fine with either decision. I mean, because they're not the only ones to do it at this point. Like you mentioned, I mean, after Christian McCaffrey, it's almost 
um, a common theme with you know top uh, draft picks to, to sit out these bowl games because it, I, I hate to say that they don't mean anything, but you know, truthfully, with the new playoff system, I mean, it, the fact of the matter is that there's not as much um, significance to these bowl games as there once was. Uh, I mean, another example, you got Jalen Smith. I don't know if you remember him. He's a linebacker for Notre Dame. Um, was yeah. Going to be the top linebacker off the board in the draft. Has a, a gruesome knee injury in the Fiesta Bowl. Ends up dealing with that. Further along, you know, he ends up having like nerve damage and, you know, issues with his knee, you know, the complications. Um, but he, you know, he's still playing right now. I think he's with the New York Giants. He's still, uh, he got drafted to the Cowboys. He, I think he probably had to take a year to really rehab and, you know, get back to full health. But, Again, I, I truly feel like, you know, that if you really look at the statistics and the odds, I mean, the chances of something like that, you know, real career career ending, you know, career derailing injury like that is, you know, slim to none. However, it is a, it is a possibility. And you're right. That is a business decision. But, um, you know, they, they have to make that decision for themselves. They need to sit down with their families, talk about it and uh, make that decision uh, for themselves. And, you know, we've seen I, – I, I know this – you weren't on either of these teams, Christian, but when Alabama has a disappointing end to the regular season, we've seen a couple times throughout Nick Saban's tenure where uh, they play in the Sugar Bowl and they just don't show up. Uh, the first time was against uh, uh, the Utah Utes back in 2009 – I mean, there's no way that that Utah even belonged on that same field with Alabama. In my opinion, Alabama loses the game 31-17 on January 2nd, 2009. It wasn't that close. And we saw a reprise of that in 2014 uh, in, in, in A.J. McCarron's final game at Alabama. And, uh, man, I had spent I, – I remember this so vividly, even though it's like six years ago, seven years ago now, um, that uh, – or no, more than that, eight, nine years uh, will be the nine-year anniversary of it. Um, I had spent the previous week down in Tuscaloosa writing this huge A.J. McCarron story and, and how uh, he was going to end the season – or end his career at Alabama as – the winningest quarterback sort of percentage wise in Alabama history passing our good friend Jay Barker and uh, I had done no reporting on Oklahoma <laughs> zero and uh, <laughs> I remember looking uh, luckily uh, a, a reporter from uh, Oklahoma his name's Jason Kersey who's still a friend of mine to this day I was just asking him, all right, what should I write about Oklahoma? And uh, it, it became a very long night because Oklahoma wins the game 45-31. So, Christian, my question to you in a very long-winded way is how does Alabama get up for this game, especially if they are without their starting quarterback and their best player on defense? Well, I mean, as a competitor, you get up for any game. I mean, I don't give a dang if you're playing the sorry school out there. I mean, if, if it's me, I want to go out there and leave my mark and leave my impression on whoever I'm playing. Um, I just have that sense of pride and that, that sense of competitive passion. But you're right. We do see, you know, guys come out with the sense of levity in these type of games where it just seems like they're too casual and they're just they're just out there just to to get it over with. But I don't think that's the right approach. I think it's a, a great opportunity to go out there. And, you know, the Sugar Bowl is a great bowl game. It's a lot of fun. You go down there and enjoy one last ride with this team. And uh, you can you know the young guys have an opportunity to set themselves up um, for the future and, and showcase what they have uh, have to offer and, and help establish uh, maybe, you know, some looks at a role moving forward and. 
for the older guys, I mean, you just want to go out one last time with your teammates. Again, I mean, college football is college football. There's nothing like it. Um, uh, trust me, when you get to the pros, it's a lot, the dynamic is so much different. You know, you don't have as much of that com- camaraderie that you're going to have in college football. So it's, it's nice to have one last opportunity with your teammates. Um, but again, I, I think as a competitor, you just have to get up there and, and you're, play, you're playing football and you have a sense of pride. I mean, at the end of the day, you're still Alabama. I mean, it shouldn't matter what game you're playing and you, you want to go out there and dominate your opponent. And I think it's a great opportunity to kind of get back on track and, and keep keep working. It's not going to come overnight, but we need to keep working at uh, re- reestablishing that identity and that culture of Alabama football. And this is a great opportun- opportunity to uh, go out there and do it again. Lars, you brought up a game and a name that uh, Alabama football fans would just assume not here anymore. Trevor Knight. Yeah, he turned into Joe Namath. Yeah, I mean, he, unbelievable. He, he did. He did. Uh, he had the game of his life. It was a Steven Garcia moment exactly. for, for for Trevor Knight, and he went on, I believe, Christian, to become a tight end in the NFL uh, and had a pretty good career. I, I could be mistaken on that. But man, he just carved up Alabama that night. It was it was hard to watch, just like the Utah game was. I just uh, I fear that's going to happen on the first of the year at the Superdome. I don't think Alabama's losing to K State. Nope. And in a lot of ways, you know, if Bryce doesn't play, and I'm, I'm with Christian, I don't think he will, I think that's almost good for Alabama I, because we need to see what we have. Or not we, I should not say we. Alabama needs to see where do you draw what your they paycheck? have. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do get, I do, Mike, I do get compensation Mike from Alabama. Mike from AL.com is next. He's going to talk about a guy that's been busy with pen in hand. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Drives in. Sugar Bowl, how satisfied is it that you get the New Year's Six, you get the Sugar Bowl, and you're playing against a, a, a really good team? Well, you know, obviously there's going to be some disappointment that we didn't get to playoffs, but, um, you know, we sort of, you know, had a season that was a little bit up and down for us. We finished strong. Uh, hopefully we can um, do a great job of embracing the challenge that we have playing in a, a you know, classic to me, when you're talking about the Sugar Bowl and how exciting it is to be a part of it, and that our players will embrace that and um, want to go do a great job, both sort of having the opportunity to prove, um, you know, who they are as a team. Well, next, go to Nick Saban, right here on Big Noon Sports. Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, along with Christian Miller. We're joined now by AL.com's Mike Rodak, who has probably been one of the busiest guys on keyboard here in the last couple of days with all the different things that he's been covering. Mike, how are you today? Busy, I know. I appreciate you taking a couple minutes with us. 
Yeah, definitely. It's been a tiring weekend. I'll put it that way, but it's just you kind of saw it coming. I mean, that. I mean, always in, in college sports, November is always tough because that's basketball and football at the same time. And then you throw in the transfer portal, you know, and, and the way things are now, it's just it's kind of a twenty-four-seven job this time of year. Do you think Alabama and Nick Saban kind of saw it coming after the conclusion of the Big Twelve championship game? Yeah, I mean, you you sense that there was probably a glimmer of hope. Um, You kind of hear it in Nick's voice there, too, when he had his his Zoom call yesterday that, you know, it was probably some disappointment that was real, was genuine. Like, I I do think that they thought they had a chance, and they probably thought that they had a legitimate argument, if not against TCU, maybe against Ohio State. And when he kind of looked deeper at it, maybe that was where – a lot of people were talking like TCU versus Alabama. Maybe the the closer comparison was – uh, Ohio State versus Alabama, and does that big loss by Ohio State at home against Michigan um, outweigh Alabama's two close losses? Obviously, the committee didn't think so, but I'm sure that they realistically in that building thought that there was a chance there. Yeah, you know, when Boo Corrigan, who uh, is the AD at NC State and the spokesperson for the college football playoff committee, came out and said, well, you know, uh, when he's talking about Ohio State, uh, the Michigan game didn't get away from them until uh, the fourth quarter. It was only a one-score game. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, are we just playing three quarters of football now? Uh, (laughs) We're having this debate on the show. Is it the most deserving four teams or is it the best four teams in your opinion that should get in and and thankfully we're going to be expanding to 12 we're just gonna have to do this one more time right and then we'll be expanding to 12 well it doesn't even have to be an opinion because the the cfp's website does say the best four teams um not the most not the four most deserving teams so that is the definition now you know it gets blended together there because then i think people will say um, you know, is there really a difference between best and most deserving? And sometimes that gets into a very deep philosophical argument that it, it's hard to kind of separate those things. And um, I don't know. It's, the argument that Nick was making was, you know, Alabama would be favored against most of those teams, probably not against Georgia, maybe not against Michigan, but decent chance of being favored against Ohio State. And I'd say they definitely would have been favored against TCU. So does that make them the better team? I don't know. It, it, it You really get into the weeds with some of the, the moving the goalposts that they do, like you said, in terms of, you know, they were tight into the fourth quarter and, you know, their strength of record and strength of schedule and these, all these different criteria that kind of crop up at different times when really if you look at their website, it just says the best four teams and then it says if there's comparable teams and you go to strength of schedule, common opponents, conference championships won, um, and basically look at those criteria alone. Now, when you go to 12, there's still going to be a margin. You're still going to have a lot of debate and argument about who's going to be that last at-large team in. You're going to have a lot of debate about who's that fourth versus fifth conference champion because that's going to determine a pretty big swing between who's the four seed and who's much lower down. And then you're going to have a big argument between who's eight and nine because that's the difference between a home game and an away game. So there's still going to be all sorts of debate and argument and controversy that happens with the 12-team playoff. But I don't know if we'll be sitting here and, and saying, you know, the 13th best team in the country didn't get in. You know, that's a 
that's the hugest, that's the biggest um, sham to ever happen to college football. I just, the good thing is you're kind of moving it back a little bit where I don't think there's going to be as much controversy when you're looking that deep versus when you're looking right now with four teams versus everybody else. Mike, it looks like Alabama's up to roughly about nine guys that are in the transfer portal. I think the most recent was Javian Cohen, who was, uh, I think, a two-year starter for the program. How do you see this affecting you know, the team and, and potentially even recruiting at this point um, with so many guys um, entering their name in the transfer portal? Yeah, I think the most immediate concern for them is just having enough players for the Sugar Bowl. Not like you're getting into a COVID situation where you're you know, cancel the game, but you still, if you have players opt out, which that's still an outstanding question, even Nick Saban was talking about that last night. Plus, I mean, you already have, of those nine, really seven have come in the past couple of weeks. Um, and they've all been players, for the most part, that have been on the 2D the depth chart. And so then you're starting to thin yourself out where you're, you're starting to play guys who haven't really played yet, in, in a lot of cases freshmen, um, in some positions might be really thin. So that's, I think, the most immediate concern. But then, yes, there is that longer-term concern of what does this all mean? And, you know, does it affect recruiting? You know, it doesn't seem like it has yet because um, every team kind of goes through this. Every team has guys transfer. Um, Alabama's still right up there one or two every year in terms of recruiting classes. But it does – it sort of makes me at least a little bit jaded when I see – Alabama's looking at this recruit, or this recruit commits to them, this recruit signs, because there's no guarantee that guy's going to be here in a year or two, or especially three years. Because a lot of these guys, they hang around for a year, they don't play, they go somewhere else. They hang around here for two years, they don't play, they go somewhere else. And so you can get excited as much as you want about the recruiting aspect of it, but a lot of these guys simply won't play, and then they'll be gone. So that's that's kind of the, the caveat to all this, and and then you're kind of looking into the portal and seeing who else you can find that maybe you recruited before and went somewhere else, or they kind of came out of nowhere and played well for somebody else. And, you know, you're rolling the dice on, on guys like that. And, you know, sometimes it's work, sometimes it hasn't. So that's, that's kind of where everything's shifted to. And I think it doesn't hurt recruiting as much as I think it takes the emphasis away from recruiting um, and away from the guys that you're bringing in as freshmen. Mike, what do you think the reason is for some of these guys like, you know, Treshawn Holden and JV and Cohen? I mean, these guys were starters in the system and uh, they're older, you know, players, uh, so to speak. What do, what do you think it is? I mean, we even see quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks from other schools. What, what, do you, what is it that you feel is making, you know, these starters, these older veteran players, you know, want to leave the program and, and, and set their eyes elsewhere? I think it all comes down to the NFL. And I think when you have guys who are Division One players, uh, especially Power Five players, pretty much every single one on a scholarship thinks, wants, desires, dreams about playing in the NFL. And there's only so many guys that make it. Out of all the Power Five players on a roster right now in college football, it's only a small percentage that are going to be playing in the NFL, um, especially when you kind of weed out the guys that, you know, go undrafted and make a training camp and then get cut. Like, the actual guys who make it in the NFL, that's a very small amount. But it doesn't stop guys from dreaming. And I think that's where a lot of the uh, anxiety comes from you know, a guy like Treshawn Holden, who started the year as a starter, had some decent games early in September, kind of lost his job, 
wasn't playing by the end of the year, end of his junior year, you start to think, you know, I got one, maybe two years left to college football. I got to show what I'm made of for the NFL to see me so I can get drafted, so I can make millions of dollars. To me, that's the overriding motivation for these guys. It's not, I can win a championship in college football. I can, I can be on the best team. Of, that stuff doesn't matter to most of these players. Like, mm. I think it's an added bonus. It's an extra. But most Alabama players are not from Alabama. They didn't grow up Alabama fans. They don't have that, that desire to win a ring for Alabama. They're here to get to the NFL. And this was the best opportunity for them to get to the NFL. But when that changes, when a guy like Tyler Booker starts playing over you at left guard, in Javion Cohen's case, then I think there's an anxiety that sets in, and you got to find somewhere else that where you can play, and so you can put that on film to get to the NFL. That's it. Hey, Mike, we got a call or two. Can you hang on through a break and maybe take a call and continue? I know I didn't ask you to yeah. stay this long, but I am now. No. Okay. All good. I can do Thank that. Thank you, Mike. Awesome. Cool. Good, good stuff. Uh, Mike Rodak is our guest. In, um, oh, Lars, help me. Help me. I'm old. What is our phone number? I wish our it's listeners two, two could zero see five, how. Guys. What, what, I got it here. 205-342-9904. Call in a big noon sports. We'd love to talk some ball with you guys. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Hi, it's Chris Stewart. Make this holiday season an adventure and get an incredible deal at Townsend Honda. Shop Ford, Nissan, BMW, Chevrolet, Jeep, Lexus. Rising through the 60s. Tomorrow, the weather turning warm for December. We'll have a chance of rain mainly during the morning hours. The high at 75. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 63 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big Noon Sports, Christian Miller, Matt Coulter, along with Lars Anderson. Appreciate you joining us. And yes, indeed, we can take your phone calls. We want to get everybody adjusted to that. I know uh, some of the stations that carry us do take them, but we can all funnel them through our flagship station in Tuscaloosa, which is tied 100.9, and the number is 205-342-9904. We're talking with Mike Rodak of AL.com, who does a, such a terrific job covering Alabama. Uh, Mike... Let's assume that Bryce Young doesn't play in this game. Uh, do you think we'll see both quarterbacks, Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson, play? And then does Alabama look to the transfer portal for a potential to bring in a potential quarterback? Yeah, so the answer to the first question, I think, is yes. I, I, I would be shocked if it's only Milrow because if you're just kind of keeping Ty Simpson on the bench at some point, it's like, what's the reason? Um I mean, do you not want to expose him? Do you not want to, you know, have his confidence get shot? Whatever the case may be, I think you just got to put him in there and see what happens. And I don't think you want to go into the offseason not knowing what you have in him. And not that you're going to find out everything. In a, you know, let's say he plays half the game. Um, you're not going to find out everything there is to know about him. But you're going to get a decent look, I think, um, against a Kansas State defense. That's pretty good, if I remember correctly from the stats. So, um 
you know, I think it makes all the sense in the world to play both of them. And then in terms of, you know, the transfer portal, I still think they're going to be very selective. Um, that, that was certainly their philosophy last year, the year before, too, was, you know, we're going to bring in guys who we think can play here. We're not going to tell guys, because in order to recruit a guy out of the transfer portal, you almost have to say, like, hey, we have a, a spot for you. We have a starting role. Like, a guy's not just going to transfer if you're not giving him any promise, quote-unquote, that he's going to play. Um, but obviously it doesn't work out always with, as we've seen with Tyler Harrell and, you know, Eli Ricks for a while there. So, yeah, I think they're still going to be selective. They don't want to just bring in 20 guys and have it be an open competition. They probably don't even have that many spots at the end of the day, too. So, you know, there's a lot of quarterbacks going in the portal. There's a couple more that went in today. Um, there's a couple that have already found spots, you know, Cade McNamara going to Iowa, Boston College quarterback going to, um, Pitt today. At the end of the day, I think the, the main prize would be Drake May. If he does go into the portal, there's been no indication that he will. Um, but who knows? You know, If it happens, I think Alabama has to be ready to, to act on it. If they you know, don't do it already, it's certainly the way things tend to work. But um, you know, he would be, I think, the main guy. And after that, I, I don't know if they'd go after. I don't think there's a very long list of quarterbacks. I'll put it that way. Mike, looking back on Alabama's season this year, you know what what would you describe it as? You know how how would you sum it up? And and what do you think you know likely led to you know I wouldn't say their demise this season, but just you know the result of this year and, and like where do you think they fell short? Um, and and what could they you know improve on moving forward? Yeah, I think it's underachieving is the word that comes to mind, and you know I think people can sit there and say, well they still only lost two games, they continued their streak of winning ten games, you know. They're still the top team out of the playoff. Like, there's a lot of uh, um, sort of mitigating factors, if you will. But it's Alabama. Like, no matter how you slice it, the goal at Alabama is always to win a national championship. When you, when you don't do that, you're underachieving. And I'd say they underachieved more than last year because last year there's always a sense that okay, they're younger. Um, they had the injuries at the end of the year. There was just always that feeling that maybe they were overachieving a little bit by competing as, as well as they did against Georgia, which was a better team last year. But this team was supposed to be better. And I know Nick Saban talks a lot about the injury to Bryce in the middle of the year and how that affected their offense and um, not practicing for a month. But that wasn't the case at Texas. I mean, that was three weeks before his injury, and that offense did not look great at, at Texas. Um, and that still, that's kind of the way it looked the entire season before and after the injury. So I'm not sure that tells the entire story. I'm not sure, you know, Saban's argument about finishing 3-0, and I don't know if there's too many people sitting there listening to that thinking, well, they beat Austin Peay and they beat a 5-7 and seven Auburn mm-hmm. team and they beat an Ole Miss team that was, you know, falling apart in November. Like, I don't know if that's terribly convincing either. And he says the offense looked great in September. Well, they beat a below 500 Bandy team and Louisiana Monroe and – um Utah State, which looked much worse than it did last year. So there's just not the resume there. Um, and the games that mattered, and we're still in this waning year of era of college football where regular season games have a very strong importance, and the couple games that really mattered, they lost. So that's, that's what tells the story. And I just don't think they were good enough from a talent standpoint at wide receiver to – overwhelm opponents in the same way that they did the last four or five years before that. And their offensive line, I don't think, was quite as good as it has been past. And their defense just wasn't 
as dominant as it needed to be to offset their problems offensively. So those are the problems, and you know that's that's kind of where where they left it. But um, I don't know if Nick Saban is going to be celebrating a ten win season as much as he talks about that. I mean, he's there to win championships, especially at this stage of his career. Yeah, and I, I think you can make the argument if uh, the late interception against Tennessee, if there isn't that flag thrown, Alabama's in the playoffs. If Alabama stops LSU on the two-point conversion, last play of the game, Alabama's in the playoffs. If they, they make one of those two plays, they're in. Um, but I, I want to shift gears really quick, and I, we do not have much time. Nick Saban kept using the word anxiety over and over and over this season. Did that surprise you? And and I know this is a really requires a longer conversation. What was your takeaway from that? Yeah, I mean, he's always a guy who's used psychology and I think been in tune to psychology, even go back to Michigan State. So I think he's, he's always been aware of that. In terms of, like, this team, it was strange to hear that. You know, it was strange. And you just think, like, what's wrong with these guys that they just can't get up for these big games, can't get excited. And I think that's a question they have to figure out this offseason. That's already something that he's mentioned, I think, yesterday in the ESPN. So it was definitely strange to hear. I don't know if there's a, an easy answer to it, but it is something that they're going to have to fix. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Thank you, Mike. Mike Rodak, catch him on AL.com. We'll catch you on the other side of this break. Thank you again, Mike. You got it. Thank you, guys. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi. Looking for ways to give this holiday season? Be sure to support the wonderful children of the Benjamin. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Hey, Greg. Uh, now that the playoff is set for 2024, what is the timeline for deciding the SEC announcing a, a new scheduled format? We'll see. We we wanted uh, several pieces of information, one of which was what would happen with the college football playoff. And, and I think probably, Seth, even with you, I shared uh, back in May, June when we were in Destin that we were poised to make a decision but felt there were some important data points. At this point, we would look to uh, the first few months of 2023 as the opportunity to refocus. Uh, I learned during that COVID summer of 2020 uh, not to set hard and fast deadlines because we may want some flexibility uh, in, in setting a specific finish point for our conversation. Uh, we have a need to move forward, though, and, and I would anticipate that in the general sense, sooner rather than later, those decisions will, will come. Commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, that's Greg Sankey, uh, addressing the situation as it presents itself today. Just looking, and this is just kind of for kicks and giggles here. The college football playoff rankings, of course, the playoff will not occur, the expanded playoff to 12, will not occur for another two years. Alabama would play Washington. You guys want to just go through this real quick? Who wins that? Alabama. <laughs> Christian? Come on now. What horse you got in that right? Come on, guys. Come on now. Come on, Come on, guys. man. <laughs> All right, then Tennessee plays USC. Now, no, Penn State. Now, that would be a pretty good football game. Yeah. Tennessee, Penn State. Uh, 
if Hendon Hooker plays, I'll take Tennessee. If Hendon Hooker doesn't play, I'll take Penn State. It would also be at Nayland. I'd still take Penn State if, uh, given the fact that Hooker is injured. And and it, and by the it's way, all based on Hooker. By, by the way, Christian, do you think injuries should factor in? to whether or not a team makes it in or gets seated in a certain way. You remember all those a couple it was a bunch of years ago, Kenyon Martin was hurt uh, in the NCAA basketball for Cincinnati, right? And they ended up getting dropped way lower, seated way lower than they should have been because I think they were like number they were like a top 5 team. Am I getting this right, Matt? Do you remember this? I I was actually in Memphis when he got hurt. Okay, yeah, and and that ended up impacting where they were seated yep. because he was basically the player of the year. But but Christian, do you think that should play a role for these next two years? I guess uh, in, in the committee and and how they decide where to seat a team or if a team even makes it in. If you're saying the criteria, or if they are saying the criteria is you know the team's resume and how you know look, I, I think I don't think it should have an impact however i mean realistically we all know it will have an impact if you're talking about a guy like your starting quarterback your heisman hopeful quarterback it's going to have a huge impact um so with that being said i I personally think it you know maybe should influence it somewhat but uh it just depends on what the whole criteria is and i think that's what they really need to to nail down and, and get that get that right moving forward is like you know i guess their website says one thing but you know, it appears like they're going off of, you know, resume uh, metric systems, paper to paper, you know, lining teams up. Um, but if you really want the four best teams, I don't think the four best teams are in the playoff right now. So I think uh, what the best thing they can do is, you know, before they go to the 12 team playoff is really um, hunker down on what are the specific uh, criteria that that we're going to look at for these teams, these 12 teams um, to get a shot at this playoff. If you go to Twitter now. And you ask or you look up uh, a guy named Corey Miller. Um, he's all over this listening yeah, to our he's show. He's us up. He says, no, it is not the deserved. It's the best. It's the best. And they didn't get the best. I would have to agree with that. I, I, I would, too. And you know what? We're going to see that when Michigan absolutely destroys TCU. Are you calling that shot right now? Right now. Wow. Wow. There's something, don't y'all think, even though they lost in the Big 12 championship game, is there something just a little bit magical about the Horn Frogs? Yeah, somewhat, I guess. I mean, they, they do kind of, I feel like they <laughs> have that feel-good story. They have a little bit of that feel-good story, I agree. You know, that Max Duggan, and he's, you know, a real gritty guy. He's he's tough, and you want to cheer for him. He, you know, this means so much to him. But, again, if you watch football uh, and you know football, you just – I mean, you, Christian – you just look at them, and they, I just don't see them. And I could be totally wrong. I, they could end up going and, and blowing Michigan out. Who knows? But I just I don't see them as a true contender. And I, I'm not saying they're a terrible team. They're they're a good football team. I just don't think they're a, a, a great football team that, that is, you know, championship worthy at this point. Yeah, it, you look at Michigan, and what I love about them, one, uh, their quarterback is playing at a really high level right now. But it, it's it's the offensive line, and it's the defensive line. It, it is it, it is sort of just, you know, big boy football there in, in, in the Big Ten, Christian, and uh, they, they just, it's, it's smash mouth, and they're tough. 
And I, I just don't see this matchup with TCU working out very well for TCU because I don't think Dugan's going to have much time. I mean, we're going to have plenty of, uh, uh, he's, plenty of time to analyze this game, but I just don't see him having the time to throw. And, and uh, I just, you know, some, sometimes it, it's just very simple. Uh, football is, it's just who, who wins the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And, and that's where I think Michigan is going to be superior in this game. Uh, agree or, or disagree? No, I, I agree. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, I look back at 2016 when uh, we were the number one seed and we, we faced Washington um, in that first round. And, uh, you know, no disrespect to that football team, but they just they just weren't on the same level as us. Physically, competitively, they just – they. It's hard to explain, and I, I hate to, to, to disrespect those guys in the Pac-12 like that, but just their style of football just could not match up with us. We just out-physicaled them, and it just it, it honestly just didn't necessarily feel like a fair fight. And I just I I, I kind of get that sense when sometimes I look at TCU, and then you mentioned Lars, you look at teams like the Michigans or the Alabamas, Ohio States. It's just they appear to just be on another level compared to a lot of other programs in college football. Christian, what you just said is really fascinating to me. Um, when did you know in that Washington game that the Huskies were cooked, that you had them? Well, I mean, if I remember correctly, I feel like Bo Scarborough, you know, a good friend of mine, and I feel like he just was running all over the place, running people over, stiff-arming people. I remember on special teams, we kind of were bullying them around a little bit. I, I just feel like you could just you could sense it. There was just this feeling of just – kind of dominance you know and and to their credit they, they made some plays but i remember we just were harassing their quarterback i think it was max browning if i'm not mistaken um it, it, i just i just remember he was you know terrified back there you had guys jake, like yeah jake browning. jake browning excuse jake me browning. jake browning and uh, yep. he was terrified back there you had we were sending reuben on on blitzes reuben was in the backfield we had tim williams and ryan anderson um harassing them you know along with all the <laughs> the big interior linemen it just it just i don't know again it just you just felt the 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 physicality and intensity from from our side and it, it just didn't didn't really feel like a, a quality matchup matt let me ask you how terrifying would it be a wild-eyed reuben foster coming at you i don't want to think about it I truly don't want to. The minute you mention that, and, and every time you mention Reuben Foster, I think of Leonard Fournette. And I think of Fournette probably trying to pick a few of the mowers out uh, at the 15-yard line off of the turf because, uh, you know, Christian has talked about this a lot this season, about just mean, just dog, just get after it with no regard for your body. If you don't have any regard for your body and you're taking on a quarterback, what do you think that quarterback has in his mind? Right. This guy doesn't care if, if he loses teeth. I'm going to not. And, um, come on, give 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 us a time. Give us a place. Was it the end of the first quarter? Were y'all kind of getting over there in the defensive huddle and going, <laughs> <laughs> guy like Alabama did against Gino Toretta in '93? Well, you know, I, it, really the second quarter, I'm pretty sure we went up like you know 17-7. I think the final really was 24-7. And the score is not going to um be be a good uh, indicator of really how that game went but if if you just watch that game I, I know for a fact by the third or fourth quarter i specifically remember i mean that quarterback uh jake browning was just trying to get rid of the ball as fast as he could he was turning when he was throwing it 
I mean, we we, fo- we forced him to just throw it up, and Ryan Anderson caught a uh, interception and ran it for a touchdown. I just remember just the energy on our sidelines after that. I mean, we just were having so much fun. And, uh, man, like, again, th- that type of intensity and passion is is – is uh, truly what I think about and, and, and really embrace when I think about my time playing is just how we had so much fun playing um, football with our with our teammates just because there was just so much energy and guys flying around. You're seeing Ruben just throwing his body around. And, you know, I, I pray for his health nowadays because I Lord knows he put his body on the line. Mm-hmm. But, man, this guy was just going after it with, you know, <laughs> wreaking havoc on anybody and everybody. And, uh, man, there's this some fun times, definitely some really fun football to watch. Hey, let's step away from college football on the other side of this break. Uh, a lot going on in the National Football League, particularly with the return of Deshaun Watson. Uh, not a great performance, but they won. And then, gee, Manetti, were you surprised that Baker Mayfield just got, hey, see you later? Wow. That's all coming up on Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. If you're sick and tired of living with that constant pain in your knees and back, you know joint pain doesn't just keep you from doing what you love. It affects your job, your relationships, even simple things like getting... Rising through the 60s. Tomorrow, the weather turning warm for December. We'll have a chance at rain mainly during the morning hours. The high at 75. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 64 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide. The best sports talk, period. Your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Back on Big Noon Sports, Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, now getting joined by a former student of Lars Anderson at the University of Alabama. And that's Cole Thompson. You can read him on SI Fan Nation, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. So you can catch up with him there. Uh, there's a bunch of different directions we can go here, Cole, but let's start with Deshaun Watson and his performance yesterday, your evaluation. Deshaun Watson looked like a quarterback that had not played in over 700 days. Deshaun Watson looked like a quarterback who simply was not ready to be up to par at the same level as other quarterbacks in the AFC. Deshaun Watson's probably going to need the rest of the entire season to figure things out. So don't expect Cleveland to be making a postseason push. But for those who are trying to say that Deshaun Watson's performance yesterday is an indication of what will be the future in the likes of Cleveland, unfortunately, there's no telling what it will be. Because if you have to realize he was not allowed to be in the complex for over three months with the organization after it was announced that he was suspended for 11 games. He finally made his return back, but he wasn't allowed to actually be at practice until last week. So he, unfortunately, even though he was in the building learning the playbook, being able to go through the reps mentally, he physically couldn't get out there. Uh, This will now mark over a year since he's actually picked up a football. Last season when he was in Houston, toward the season's end, he actually did not even come to the facility. So he was working out on his own practice, uh, on his own practice squad. He was working out in his own vicinity away from the Houston Texans. He was somewhere uh, out in the middle of nowhere, Texas, actually doing reps, going through mental work and processing before being traded. So Sean Watson, as a whole, you signed him to a five-year, $230 million extension. He's going to be your franchise quarterback. I think the main thing that you're looking for at this point for the remainder of the season 
Can he win in divisional games? Can he improve every single week? Can his poise in the pocket step up? Can he be able to build that repertoire with the likes of a guy such as Amari Cooper? Could he be able to find a connection with maybe former Auburn receiver uh, um, Anthony Schwartz? Could he be able to build that repertoire in the passing attack? And how will he be able to work inside the red zone? You know, yesterday he threw a really costly interception to Jalen Petrie at the five-yard line. And if it was at the back of the end zone, that would have gone for an easy touchdown. You need to work on that consistency and that timing with guys like Amari Cooper. Because if not... That's an indication of what Cleveland needs to address this offseason because they're going to do everything in their power to build around the Sean Watson. Cole, uh, two questions for you. One, what is it like to cover the worst team in the NFL? Uh, record is one ten and one. Uh, they've lost seven in a row. I'm talking about the Houston Texans here, and uh, you know it, 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 it's got to be a grind for the players. So that's question number one. Two. Looks like Houston's going to have the top pick in the draft. Do, do they go Bryce Young, or is there another quarterback that they'll be looking at? For starters, Lars, you taught me at a very young age, always try to find an impressive story, always try to work your way around angles. There's always a story to be had. It gets very hard to find stories when you're covering a 1-10-1 roster, and especially when the morale is at an all-time low. So let's just start off with that. You certainly are getting less news from me these days when it comes to Houston, more just straight facts in, out, kind of processing. Every once in a while, you'll be able to get a good feature here or there and a good profile, but it's been a bit challenging, not going to lie. As for the number one overall pick, Houston, as of today, would need to win three more games and would need Chicago to lose one more game because if they hold the tiebreaker for them not to get the first overall pick. And when you look at the remaining schedule, it's a doozy. So I do not believe that they will be anywhere else but picking number one in 2023. And it does come down to two quarterbacks, from what I've been told. It is C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, and it is Bryce Young. I think you can't go wrong with either process because both of these players have tremendous upside and different skill sets that make them unique, dynamic quarterbacks. As for Bryce Young, everyone wants to talk about his size. I want to talk about his pocket awareness. There's just something about him that he can feel the pressure coming off the edge. He can see it moving up the A-gap. He evades the first tackler. He moves up, steps up, delivers a strike downfield keeps drives alive, keeps momentum. He's not a mobile quarterback. He's not a guy that you're not going to ask to run for 570, 800 yards a a season. He's more of a 230, 300-yard kind of runner. But his ability to keep plays alive after initial contact, after the pocket collapses, he may have already a top-five pocket awareness at the NFL level when he is a rookie. So you have to put that in consideration when you look at the Texans' offensive line and what they're going to do. I also think that when you look at C.J. Stroud, he has the size, he has the arm strength, he has the touch. He has everything that you're looking for. The one thing that I worry about with C.J. Stroud is decision-making and mental processing. There's been multiple times this year, especially when you go back and watch that Michigan game, he felt flustered. If there wasn't his first read open, which was Marvin Harrison Jr., he immediately would try to just maneuver outside the pocket, go a little bit off script, and it would lead to costly decision-making. A lot of third-down incompletions couple of picks, a couple of turnovers on downs. It's something that he's going to have to work with. The good news for Houston is that if they did want to go ahead and kind of redshirt one of these guys or ease them in, Davis Mills still has two more years left on his contract. They view him as at least a viable backup and a low-tier starter. So I could see a move to where maybe they do go after C.J. Stroud. I also would not be shocked if an offer comes in to where they can't refuse. They need defensive line help immensely. They need to add that pass rush. Will Anderson would make a ton of sense in a trade-down scenario. But if you're picking number one, you're usually picking number one because your quarterback is the cardboard doo-doo. And unfortunately for that, you're probably going to have to go get one of these two guys. 
Cole, if you had to put money on it, who are you taking to, to come off the board first in the 23 NFL draft? Will Anderson or Bryce Young? As of this point, I would say Bryce Young, and it's only based off of additional value, which is funny because arguably the next most important positional value when it comes to a young talent is a pass rusher. So I could see a scenario where both these guys are in play for the number one pick. It really does come down to two things for me. Number one, who is making the selection? Houston could go crazy. I mean, that they do have an extra first-round pick in this year's draft, they are going to be aggressive to bring in the right players. Saw it last year when they traded up to go get John Mechie. They could just go take Will Anderson at number one and work their way up to number four to go get C.J. Stroud or someone like that. I could also see where they take Bryce Young at number one and then maybe go after like a Jalen Carter from Georgia. They need immense defensive line help, especially up the middle. Ultimately, that's one thing is team selection. But number two, positional value. I mean, if you're seeing Bryce Young on the board and you're looking at a team like the Detroit Lions who would have the Rams pick or the Seattle Seahawks who need a long-term plan after Geno Smith, I could see it be Bryce Young. So I think projectional value does matter, and I also think that you have to look at who's making the selection. But quarterbacks are always, you know, if you, if you don't have a franchise quarterback, you don't have an opportunity to win a actual Super Bowl. I mean, we've only seen it maybe a handful of times with Trent Dilfer, with Nick Foles, with uh, a few others here and there. But even Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, you could view him as at least somewhat of a franchise quarterback because he was there for five and a half years. So I look at that. I, I think that you have to go with Bryce Young, number one. Cole Thompson is our guest here, and you can catch up with him on SI Nation. Cole, uh, what's up with Baker Mayfield? He got waived. You know, it was one of those things where I think he saw an opportunity that there's two teams that I'm hearing are interested in adding him, and one of which is going to be in the middle of a playoff hunt. So he actually asked for his release this morning. He wanted an opportunity to go elsewhere. He knew he was not part of the long-term plan in Carolina, especially now that Steve Wilson this is actually very factual. Steve Wilkes is getting a full-on look at becoming the Carolina Panthers' next head coach. So I would not rule him out of that conversation of actually taking over for that role. He's very well-respected in the Carolinas. He's been very well-respected by that organization for over a decade for what he was able to provide, not just as a defensive back coach, but also as a defensive coordinator. They want to move forward with someone else. I think that San Francisco is going to be one team that's really interested in bringing him in. You look at what Kyle Shanahan's offense asked him to do, and with the backing support of a guy like Christian McCaffrey, who has said on multiple occasions, Baker overexceeded a lot of expectations very early on. I could see them making a push in the waiver wire to bring him in. And another team I think to monitor would be the New Orleans Saints. Technically, they're not out of the playoff hunt just yet. Andy Dalton has been, I guess, slightly below average, but that's what you expect from a 35-year-old quarterback who at this point is known for more so his journey than he is as a franchise starter. They don't believe that Jameis Winston is the long-term plan. And if they could get him at a bang-for-buck value to where he could at least show promise and potential of maybe being the guy next year when they don't have a first-round pick, it'd be very intriguing to see. But I think those are the two teams that are going to be very interested. And ultimately, Baker Mayfield wanted a second shot. San Francisco just feels like a match made to where it makes a little too much sense. He's been in the playoffs. He's been in this scenario before. And he could probably lead a team to at least a 3-2 and two record down the stretch. That would probably be enough to get them at least 10-7. And if they're 10-7 in the NFC, it's a wide-open race. They absolutely could win the division at 10-7. They could absolutely be the number three seed at 10-7. Cole, I believe you covered Jalen Hurts at Alabama. Are you surprised at the player uh, he is now compared to when he was the starting quarterback at Alabama? So I got to cover him as a freshman, which was a really cool experience. But I remember doing a story on his dad, him and Channel View, and going down and actually speaking to his dad. 
And it wasn't his dad that told me how special of a kid it was. It was his principal. She said that when he was a young kid, he immediately just lit up the room and everyone knew that just by his poise and his demeanor and his own vigorous smile and uh, exuberant personality, he was just going to be able to turn into something. And you look at what Nick Sirianni has done with his offensive game plan. He basically has said from the start, listen, I am going to make sure we limit your big throws. I'm going to make sure that we play your style and we're not going to overpress you. And because of it, you're watching him not only develop into one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFC, but one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. That repertoire that he has with A.J. Brown, second to none. What he's been able to build with the likes of Devonta Smith, second to none. And the fact that they have a very stable offensive line that gives him ample protection to go through his progression and not feel flustered is a huge must. I love the move that they were able to keep him. I love the fact that Sirianni gave him an opportunity. Go ahead and trust that Dalen Hurts is going to be here for the long term. And he's about to get paid a lot of substantial money. Because remember, unlike Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Tua Tagovailoa, he is going to a contract year next season. And they might use the franchise tag, but they're going to owe him a little bit of cash if he wants to be the long-term option in Philadelphia. And he's earned it. Oh, Definitely. Cole, get Cole, those. Thank you, man. Get those wedding plans set. Get those honeymoon plans set. You gonna tell everybody where they're going on honeymoon? No, uh, he where are you going on your honeymoon, Cole? You need to fill out your invitation, and then I'll tell you. I know. I'm. I'm coming. I'm coming, Cole. Fill out the invitation. <laughs> hey, you can uh, read Cole Thompson on SI's Fan Nation, and also follow him on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. Thanks, Cole. Talk to you very soon. Thanks, Thanks Cole. Bud. Thanks guys for having me. Oh, this savage. Is wide receiver out of Ohio State. We got to ask Finkus about this. Coming up, this is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi. Theater Tuscaloosa presents a new musical that combines Christmas cookies and competition. The Great Christmas Cookie Bake Off. Big news sports. There's Lars, Matt, Christian. Went by Lars's uh, good European friend, Matt Finkus. We won't go into that in too much detail. Uh, we, uh, we have many Scotland stories. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, first of all, Matt, uh, thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a ho- uh, happy holiday. We just got something on Twitter here about Jackson Smith, the Jigba, uh, a wide receiver going to opt out of the championship run? Is Did did you see that? I haven't seen that yet, but I'm not really surprised. I mean, you know, he's been dealing with injuries all year. Yes, he played in that first game against Notre Dame. Tried to come back. I know he's, you know, really, I mean, honestly, I, I know he's traveled around the country trying to get, uh, you know, a second opinion, a third opinion, something somebody can, you know, try to get him back on the season and just hasn't been able to do it. Um you know, a lot of people are looking for him to try to come back in that last game. 
wasn't able to do that. So, I mean, it might just be one of those things where he just, you know, it, it's not in the cards for him this year, and he's going to take the time to go uh, go try to be, uh, you know, in the NFL and figure out what he's got to do to get himself healthy again. Talking to Matt Finkus, former All-American defensive end at Ohio State, who also was roommates with Luke Fickle and Mike Vrabel. Uh, there's going to be a book in there somewhere, Matt, and uh, <laughs> I hope to write it. <laughs> but um, let's let let's go back to the Michigan Michigan game, and yep. uh, just break break down for us what happened to Ohio State, and is is it was it indicative of any larger problems, or was it just a, a bad sort of last quarter of football for Ohio State? I think it's just a, you know, it was indicative of a team that came out and made a bunch of mistakes. And every mistake that they made was capitalized on in a big way by, by Michigan. I mean, you know, you, you miss a tackle, it goes for a touchdown. You bust a coverage, it goes for a touchdown. Uh, you know, again, the, that big run, you miss a tackle in the hole, your, your guy's there. The defensive tackle's there, you miss a tackle there, and, and it goes for a touchdown. So, um, you know, it was a, obviously, you get credit to them. They were able to take advantage of those mistakes, but, um, I mean, you look at that game and just the penalties and the and the missed assignments and the missed tackles and stuff like that. I mean, you don't expect that this late in the season from a championship caliber team. And you know that, that's what uh, Ryan Day's got to spend the next three weeks of really trying to clean up and making sure that uh, that his team isn't going to you know fall into that same trap again. Because when you go back and look at it, it wasn't you know a, a you know a, a huge you know, dominating where they were just, you know, running up and down the field. It's, you know, they, they, every touchdown they scored was a huge play and bust. I mean, High State hadn't given up a play over 60 yards all season. They gave up four in that game. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, some, sometimes the, the ball just does not go your way and, and it did not go the Buckeyes way that, uh, that Saturday. And they've got to look themselves in the mirror and figure out how to get those problems solved. Uh, sorry, had just a little confusion on this side. Um, all right, so let's look forward. Um, I, I firmly believe Ohio State deserved to be in uh, the playoffs. And, I, I Matt, I, I have a feeling, too, that the committee did not want Ohio State and Michigan playing in the semifinal. I mean, you can't tell me that TCU is a better team than Ohio State. But that, that's a whole other <laughs> argument. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you think that was manipulated by the committee? And also, just just kind of break down how Ohio State matches up against Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I think that they, they had it set the way they wanted to. I mean, they look at these matchups, and, you know, you, you don't want to have that matchup uh, right at the beginning of the, of the playoffs. So, I mean, I think that they probably took that into consideration when they were doing the seeding. Um, because, I mean, I think, you know, when you want to try to give the easier pass to the number one seed, I don't think you did that at all <laughs> by putting Ohio State there and, and not uh, Michigan, so or not TCU. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how this all plays out as well. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I mean, I obviously Ohio State's very deserving. I don't think TCU, um, you know, is undeserving. But I think that, you know, when you look at the at how this all shook out as well, um, you no, know, TCU has one loss. Ohio State had one loss. TCU played an extra game, leaving at three. So, I, I, I mean, I think the justification was there for it. Um, looking at this game, I think that, you know, it matches up pretty well for the Buckeyes, honestly. You know, you look at what the, the secondary has had issues with all year long. It's been kind of making those tackles out on the corner. Um, and that's not really Georgia's game. You know, I mean, they utilize, utilize those tight ends. They're very good. They utilize them well. 
but Ohio State wants to play between the hashes on defense and, and be aggressive in the hashes. That's where Georgia plays, too. So I think it's a matchup of good on good, and we'll see what happens there. As far as when you look at the offensive side of the ball for the Buckeyes, I mean, yeah, I mean, LSU is able to, to, to really gain some yards throwing the football, and I think that's what you're going to have to see out of this uh, Ohio State team, too. I mean, get, get the ball to Marvin Harrison, get the ball to Mecca Obuka, and let them go to work. Matt, we're, we're seeing the uh, college football playoffs expanding in uh, two years to a 12-team system. Do you think that's the right move, and do you think that's going to uh, help change the landscape of college football and uh, settling this whole debate on the, the, the playoff uh, system right now? You know, I, I wasn't a fan of the 12 teams. I, I was, a, you know, I think you could have expanded it to eight. You could have taken the five conference champs, the best, uh, you know, the best team or the highest ranked team out of the group of five, and then you know, two at large. Um, that was that's what I would have liked to see happen. I think that you know what they did was expanding it as large as they did. I wasn't necessarily a fan of that, but at the end of the day, good. I mean, good teams are going to work out. I mean, you know, the, the best teams are going to be there at the end. And yes, anyone can beat anyone on any given day. But um, I, you know, I mean, if you're a good, solid football team, I still think that the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Ohio State, they're going to find their way to the top. Um, and and I think that, uh, that, that you know, if you're a good team you can't be afraid of competition and will it lessen the importance of games early on in the season you know i don't know i mean you, you know there's very few teams that go undefeated you know as we see there's two this year there's been years where there's one you know there's years where there's none so i mean i, I think it's going to put a little bit more emphasis and i think honestly you look at this and, and quality wins should matter more than your losses and I think that that's kind of what they look at um, with Ohio State, too, and some of these things. You know, when you look at, and I know uh, Nick was out making the rounds, and, and I, I, you know, that was a big knock on Alabama. What was their big quality win where, you know, Ohio State has a win over Notre Dame. Now, granted, you know, I mean, they had some rough stuff early in the season. They were able to come back, but they get they had the win over Penn State. So hopefully this encourages teams, that, you know, to make put people on their schedule that you can get those quality wins to have on your resume at the end of the year. Matt Finkus is our guest here on Big Noon Sports. Matt, I, I get up and down on C.J. Stroud. He would have been my Heisman tri- uh, pick going into the season uh, because when he's hot, I mean, I don't. There's not a better quarterback except for maybe Bryce Young. But when he's not and he, he's getting pressure, he seems to get very one-dimensional. Uh, is that your evaluation? And what do you see him going forward? You know, I think CJ is a different kind of quarterback. You know, I mean, he's a quarterback that's very calm. He's very composed. You know, I mean, it's, it's not a guy who's, he's not a Caleb Williams where he's going to be very outgoing and trying to, you know, fire up the team and, and be, uh, you know, really vocal and, and out there. But I mean, that's what you want, I think, as a quarterback in, in Ryan's system. You want a guy who's going to be able to, to sit there in the pocket and throw the ball and get, and, you know, and, and be smart, make smart plays. Um, you know, I mean, you look at the times where he, has had pressure and, and just kind of thrown away the ball and, and played for another down where I know a lot of people would like to see him run, but that's just not his game. I mean, and that, and they know that. So, you know, it, it's just playing within himself. I think, uh, you know, settling down because you're right. I think when, you know, when he's on, he's as accurate as anybody in college football. And, and I think he can really get the job done. And, and, you know, we don't need him to run the ball to, to score. We got too many guys that, with too much talent on the outside and in the backfield to do that for him. Matt, uh, you know this. I, I've, I've mentioned this many times to you, how big a fan I am of Ryan Day. 
but uh, I, I, this has to be the really vocal minority of Buckeye fans that have been highly critical of Ryan uh, not being able to beat Michigan these last two years. It, it, is, is that a correct assessment? I, I, I can't believe that Buckeye Nation is, is turning against uh, who a coach who I think is, is really one of the best in the country. Yeah, I mean, it's a guttural response. I think every fan base has that. When you lose a game like that, you've lost two years in a row, and, and, and you're going to get that reaction. I mean, that's the way it is here in Columbus. I mean, it's, it would be the same thing in Tuscaloosa, you know, if Alabama lost two consecutive years to Auburn. I mean, it's just that's the way it is. And I think that you have to you, you know that, you take that into account. You know, you let things shake out and settle down, and then you go into the next season and, and uh, try to, you know, get your goals of, you know, beating the team up north and win the national championship. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, you know, you get the, the reactionary stuff that happens right after a game, but I don't think that anyone here is really looking at trying to get rid of Ryan Day. Matt, I know college football looks a lot different um, than when you were playing, you know, with the whole NIL and uh, uh, transfer portal. Just give me your thoughts on that and, and, and how you how you see college football, you know, going moving forward. I mean, it almost feels like we have free agency at this point. I mean, it is, and and I think that they're going to have to do something to regulate both NIL and and the transfer portal a little bit. I mean, if nothing else, then to just protect these kids from themselves a little bit. You you got 18, 19-year-olds making some very, very, you know, important decisions kind of on a whim. Uh, You know, I mean, get some some people in there that can advise them into doing the right things. Um, You know, I think the NIL money is going to settle down, and they're going to have to regulate that as well. Make sure that guys are getting their their money for the correct things, and not just you know a million dollars from a coffee shop, you know, somewhere in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's going to settle itself down. It's going to shake itself out, and I think that the Power Five are going to probably break away and, and form their own governing body and get it regulated. Hey, Matt, do you watch Yellowstone? Oh, yeah. Does uh, Brian Day not favor Rip? <laughs> I mean, a little bit with the beard. I'd have to see him with the cowboy hat and the sunglasses. But I, I, I kind of get you with the beard look, for sure. It's a good show. Hey, uh, thanks, Matt. <laughs> Absolutely, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Matt. Yep. Uh, we'll wrap up uh, this edition of Big Noon Sports. Take a call or two and uh, sit at the top of the hour. Thanks for listening. I'll be back. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi. The Literacy Council of West Alabama serves nine counties by getting books into the hands of children and adults. Rising through the 60s. Tomorrow, the weather turning warm for December. We'll have a chance of rain mainly during the morning hours. The high at 75. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 65 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide. The best sports talk, period. Your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Darling, you got to let me know. Colorado, Buffalo, Buffalo. I'll be here till the end of time. So you can.
He's the man. And God called him strategically to reach out to me to make this happen. He, uh... Hey, it's big noon sports. That's Dion. Dion going to Colorado, taking his son. Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal tomorrow. Yeah, um, I was a little distracted the previous uh, segment because I was texting back and forth with Jimmy Burrow, the uh, father of Joe Burrow, former Heisman Trophy winner, led LSU to the national championship, and uh, now has uh, the Bengals playing really well, just beat Patrick Mahomes for the third straight time in the calendar year. Never happened before. And I got to know Jimmy, who was a uh, he's a Nebraska guy. I have to get Nebraska in there, Christian. You know that. Uh, <laughs> he, he played at Nebraska, uh, was an assistant coach at Nebraska. But I did a long story on, oh, on uh, Ohio University uh, and their football team for Sports Illustrated. And uh, Jimmy was the defensive coordinator. And I remember this little kid in the office, running around, in the football offices, running around. And that was a uh, little Joe Burrow uh, way back when. And so tomorrow, Jimmy is going to join us at uh, 1.30, and we're going to talk uh, all things Joe Burrow. And, and also, I, I, I've, and, and Christian, I, I bet you have uh, spoken to people about this as well. I get asked, uh, just because I cover uh, college football and the National Football League, Hey, how and you have fathers and mothers ask, how can I get my kid into the NFL? How can my kid become the next Joe Burrow? And so I, I really want uh, Jimmy to give us his perspective and his advice on uh, on on sort of how he raised his son to become the elite player that he is. But Matt, I know we have a caller. We do. We got a couple of folks online. We appreciate you dialing in. This is Michael from Georgia, I believe. Michael, how you doing? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Uh, referencing the Final Four selection this year, as a Georgia fan, I, I mean, first of all, I feel your pain. I want to take you back to 2018. It was a very similar scenario. So that year, Bama's one, Clemson is two. And that was the year that Georgia, 11-1, and one, played Alabama, and that's when Jalen Hurst came off the bench and made that heroic win, if you remember. And... I think the final was 35-28, I believe. And so what happened that year, Notre Dame went 12-0, and barely beat a lot of really bad teams that year. And Oklahoma went 12-1 and and had a really bad loss that year. And I want to say it was to Iowa State. I don't really quite remember. And to me that year, and to a lot of people, and I went to the game, I talked a lot of Alabama fans, Clearly, they felt Georgia was a better team than Notre Dame and Oklahoma both. In the semifinals, Bama boat raced Oklahoma, if you remember, and Clemson demolished Notre Dame in the semis, if you remember that. So I knew Alabama wasn't going to get in when TCU played the competitive game because the committee has a long history of putting in teams that are deserving and not necessarily the truly best teams, if you know what I mean. So yeah. I, I just wanted to make that point. And I thought the committee got it right, you know, so based upon their criteria that they use. So I'm sure if you use a Vegas point spread model, these wouldn't be the final four teams. And they those would have been the final four teams in 2018 or most years. 
So I just wanted to make that point. And I hate to say this, guys, for my team, which is Georgia, I'm not looking forward to this matchup at all. They, their wide receivers are dangerous, and I think they're going to give Georgia secondary some problems in this game. That is a very fast track they're going to be playing on at the end of the month. Take care, guys. I love your show. Michael, we appreciate that. Thank you, man. Yeah, no, you have a great point. Spot on right there. He, um, no, that that was a similar situation that he referred to. But and again, you know, it it really does boil down to uh, what their true criteria is. Is it the four best or the four most deserving uh, based on resumes and and such? So, I think that's definitely something that they need to, you know. Uh, you know, get get right moving forward and, and really make that clear because I think that's the main issue right now is like what what do you what do you value more? You know, you know, true talent and, and the best teams are, are just the resumes on paper, um, and I think that's the biggest argument right now. Uh, let's wrap up this edition of Big Noon Sports with a call from Trustful and another Mike. Mike, how you doing? Hey, man, I, Matt, I'm doing I'm, I'm doing great. Doing great, Matt. How you doing today, man? Uh, I'll Terrific, thank you. We got about sixty I'll seconds. I'll make it quick and fast. Uh, listen, you know, y'all asked, y'all were talking about Jalen Hurts earlier about whether y'all surprised, were they surprised that he's made it, you know, than what he's done in the NFL. You know, here's my point about quarterbacks. Really, any player coming out of college, okay, especially especially quarterbacks. You know, you have to give these time. You know, you go back to the Tom Brady's and the Joe Montana's, the best of the best. It was their third or fourth year before they really started coming into their own to, you know, to be an NFL quarterback. We're too quick to judge these guys, and they think we think they ought to be immediate superstars right out of college. And sometimes it doesn't work that way. You have to give these time guys time to develop. And I want Christian Miller's comments on and yours too, Matt, on that. Now, I, I hang up and listen. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Mike, you're 100% correct. You know, guys do need time to develop. You know, I, I think a lot of people just assume that guys are going to come in and, and be the, the the finished product right away, and that's not how it works. Guys need time to develop. You know, physically, they need time to develop. Mentally, you know, guys come on a campus 17, 18 years old. These guys are still young kids, and, and by the time they leave, they're grown men. And uh, even when they get to the NFL, you know, it's a huge transition, and uh, uh, there's so much work that needs to be put in to, to reach your full potential. So you're 100% right, and I, I think that's why it's so critical to have um, the right coaches on your staff to be able to develop these guys' talent because I don't care how good a player is when he comes in. If he doesn't have the right coach um, backing him up and, and developing him, um, it, can go to, it can go to waste, uh, unfortunately. So, so critical um, to develop guys the right way and make sure that you're doing all that you can um, to become the best player that you can be. And Christian nailed it. I mean, it's development. It's coaching. I mean, what a great job the Eagles coaching staff has done with this guy. That's amazing. Uh, Yeah, I mean, not only is he an MVP candidate, I think he's the most improved player in the NFL and one of the most improved players I've seen in a long time from one year to the next. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for your time. Jimmy Burrow, Joe's dad's on the show tomorrow. Have a wonderful afternoon. Gloomy as it is. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi. Looking for ways to give this holiday season? Be sure to support the wonderful children of the Benjamin